Now, as we journey through the book of Ephesians, we move from last week where we were talking about household instructions to spiritual warfare. Now, by anyone's definition, this is a big leap, <laughs> and there's no gentle transition in the text, no lovely segue. It's just like at one moment God is saying, this is how you are to behave under the same house, to this is how you go toe-to-toe with Satan and win. So we'll do a little bit of a mental gear shift and cover this very interesting, if not controversial, section in Ephesians on spiritual warfare, and we'll do this over two Sundays. This morning we'll cover three areas. We'll look at two questions, even objections, to the area of spiritual warfare. Then we'll look at the scheming of the devil, the schemes that he applies against us, and then how we can stand, the standing of Christians against the schemes of the devil. So two questions, the scheming and the standing. So the first two questions, even objections to spiritual warfare. I mean, why bother? Don't we live in a a modern, highly technological age? Isn't spiritual warfare something of the old world, superstitious, something that we left behind with good education and science and technology? Well, to the question or even the objection of why bother, I would say just look to the world and then look to your Bible. I mean, you look at the world, and we don't have to go to the international arena or even the national arena. You just look at our local community. We live in a community that's not just becoming more secular, but more pagan. The internet has opened up greater access to dark religious practices and the occult. Movies dealing with evil are more explicit and more sinister. A bondage to addictions is common. Troubled behaviour, often related to abuse, is becoming more the norm. And many, many people, Christians and non-Christians alike, have at one time or another experienced an uncanny, heightened sense of the presence of evil. I could go on, but for these observations, we see that evil today is on the increase, and frankly, something needs to be done. And this is where we turn from the world to the Bible. For the Bible lifts the veil and shows us that there is a spiritual realm and it impacts our world. That there are dark forces raging against us from the spiritual realm that impacts our material world. And these are dark forces that cannot be explained by poverty, lack of education, poor upbringing or institutional failings. The Bible is very clear that there is a spiritual realm with evil forces that look on the world, including you and I, with malice, with hatred, and with the thought of destruction. Listen to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And it's this wrestling against these forces that we call spiritual warfare. So this is the second objection. Uh, If there is spiritual warfare, what, what is it? Well, spiritual warfare is this wrestling against these dark forces. A working definition that I find very helpful is this. Spiritual warfare is the ongoing battle between the church and the devil and his forces, with the church standing in the armour of God, 
defensively resisting the devil and offensively proclaiming the gospel in a battle already won. Now, there's a lot in that, and we're going to kind of unpack that over the next two weeks. But individually and as a church, we stand in the armor of God, resisting the devil's scheme and advancing the gospel. And key to all this is the battle is already won. And so these are the two possible objections to looking at spiritual warfare. Why bother and what is it? This gives us an opportunity now to turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, our passage. Finally, Paul writes, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Now, the word finally refers to Paul closing off his letter. Now, you might be very pleased that Paul's beginning to close off his letter because we have spent a little bit of time in Ephesians. And it's interesting that he saves this very important topic to last. It's like, as the words of my letter linger in your ears, remember that spiritual warfare is urgent. And what does he say? He says, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. And he's saying this because if we attempt spiritual warfare in our own strength, in our own might, we will be crushed, defeated, and destroyed. When it comes to spiritual, might, spiritual warfare, we must depend, rely on, lean into Jesus and the victory that he has won and the, the strength and the might that is his. So verse 10, verse 11 says this, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So there's three things in this verse that we note. First, the devil is scheming against us. Second, we are expected to and we can stand against these schemes. And thirdly, it's only as we put on the armor of God that we can stand. And as I mentioned, we're going to cover and explore what the devil's schemes are and then how we can stand firm. And next week, we'll have a look at the individual items of the armor of God. So the scheming. What are the devil's schemes? But first, a word about the devil. What do you know about the devil? Well, the devil is one annoyed and unhappy customer. Clues in the Bible plus the long-standing Christian tradition have Satan as an archangel before he rebelled against God. And when he did rebel against God, he was thrown, cast out of heaven with a third of the angels. And here we have the origin of devil and ex-archangels and demons ex-angels finding themselves in the spiritual realm or the heavenly places is the phrase that Ephesians uses finding themselves in the spiritual realm the devil and his horde scheme and plot and work great malice towards humanity especially to the people of God and the devil has a number of go-to schemes that he is working against us we will look at three of them these three schemes that Satan tried to trip Jesus up and failed. And these same three schemes that Satan applies to us, works against us. And sadly, sometimes we do fail. So Paul is saying, know the schemes of the devil and stand firm. So what's the first scheme that we'll look at? Well, Satan loves to tempt God's people. 
This is one of his favorite schemes that he will apply to you and I. Famously, he tried this to Jesus in the wilderness. Many of us are familiar with the story. Jesus is baptized. The Holy Spirit comes down on him in a powerful way. What's the first thing that the Holy Spirit does with Jesus? Leads him into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. At the end of that time, Satan comes to him. And we pick this up in Matthew chapter 4, verse 3. And the tempter came and said to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Did you notice the devil's name in this passage? In the story of the temptation of Jesus, he's given three terms, the devil, Satan, and the tempter. Why? Because temptation, tempting us, is one of the main schemes that the devil uses against us. And so we haven't got time to look at all three of the temptations, but we'll just look at the first one, where Jesus was tempted in the area of physical need, genuine physical need, hunger. Now, there are other physical needs, legitimate physical needs that Satan tempts us with. One is in relationships. We notice that not only was Jesus without food for 40 days, but he was without friends. He was lonely. Relationships, a legitimate need. He didn't even have his friend John the Baptist, who was very, very good at living in the desert. He was by himself. And so Satan will often tempt us in the area of relationships. He will try and drive wedges between our good relationships. He will also try and attract us to unhealthy and unhelpful relationships. And there's the area of sex as well. Another area of relationship, a legitimate physical need. And we all know how good Satan is at tempting us in this area. And so Satan is the master of tempting in our physical needs. And not just legitimate physical needs, but also things like excess alcohol, drug abuse, other addictions. This is part of the scheming of the devil that we are asked in Ephesians to stand against. And so how did Jesus combat this scheme, the scheme of tempting? What can we learn from his experience? Well, first of all, the same Holy Spirit that came upon Jesus in his baptism and led him out into the wilderness and who was there as a resource, as a strength for Jesus when tempted, is the same Holy Spirit that you and I have. When we ask Christ into our life, when we repent and say, Lord, there's nothing I can do to be right with you. I need Jesus in my life. Then the Holy Spirit comes in us and we have that resource within us, just like Jesus did to resist temptation. There's a second thing Jesus did as well, which we can do well to follow. We see this in verse, verse 4. But he answered, this is Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, but he answered, it is written, man may not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus pulled out the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and used that to resist the scheme of the devil, temptation. So we've got two areas there that we can help us resist temptation, draw on the resources of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit. And we could, I could preach a number of sermons on temptations, but just to encourage us as we move on to the next scheme, 1 Corinthians 10, 
verse 13. This is encouragement to us all. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. But God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So that's the first scheme of the devil that he uses to trip Christians up. The second scheme is accusing. Satan loves to accuse the people of God. Now in the Hebrew language, Satan, the root word for Satan means accuser. That's his name, Satan, accuser. That's his core business. He accuses us. We think of Job, the story of Job. Satan appears before God, and what does he do? He accuses Job of only worshipping God because of the blessings, and that if God was to stop the blessings, Job would not only not worship him, but would curse God. Satan loves to accuse God's people. And this is one of the biggest schemes that Satan used against Jesus in his ministry. Time and time again, when you read the Gospels, you will see the Pharisees, the religious leaders, whoever, accusing Jesus, undermining him publicly, trying to undermine uh, his relationship with God. And as we saw, read that with Matthew 12, there's the occasion when Jesus is walking through a ripe grain field. It's harvest time, and his disciples uh, run their hands through the ripe grain heads and eat the grain. Tasty snack. But it's a Sabbath. And so the Pharisees accused Jesus of breaking the Sabbath, of breaking one of the Ten Commandments. This accusation was an attempt to undermine Jesus publicly. And you'll see this time and time again through the gospel, the scheme of the devil. Now, how can we respond? Again, what is Jesus' example to us? Well, we see this in Matthew chapter 12, verse 3. This is Jesus replying to those who would accuse him. He said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? Do you know what he's doing? Jesus has pulled out the sword of the Spirit again. He's referring to a passage in 2 Samuel, and he is using the word of God to fight Satan's accusations, sword of the Spirit. So tempting and accusing are two of the schemes of the devil that he will use to pull God's people down to undermine us. And the third scheme of the devil we'll look at today is persecuting. Satan loves to persecute God's people. Again, we see this in Jesus' ministry. We go back to the morning that he was crucified. What happened the night before? Satan tempted Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. There was that scheme again. And then Jesus was accused. Satan's scheme again. He was accused before the Sanhedrin and now before Pilate. So you see these schemes all coming together. There is the tempting, there's the accusation, and now the persecution. Because Pilate pronounces the innocent man guilty. And he's punched and mocked and whipped. And Jesus, our dear Lord, is led to Calvary where those nails pierce his hands and his feet, and he is lifted up to die the most excruciating of deaths. Jesus is persecuted. And how does Jesus respond? 
the Gospels make it very clear that Jesus' response was to remain silent. Why was he doing that? Again, the sword of the Spirit. He was living out the sword of the Spirit because the prophet Isaiah, some 600 years before, wrote this about Jesus. Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, persecuted. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before his shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Even in persecution, our dear Lord obeyed the word of God, the sword of the Spirit. So when it comes to the schemes of the devil, we're seeing that we're up against being tempted, we are being accused, and we're being persecuted. These are the schemes that the devil will use against us individually as well as us as a congregation and a wider church. However, in all of these schemes, we do not despair. Why? Because Christ has overcome, and so can we. And the same Holy Spirit that came down on Jesus in his baptism is the same Spirit that resides in us. And this is why we can stand firm, even against the schemes of the devil. While all the devil's malice and wile is against us, we can stand by putting on the full armor of God, piece by piece. And we're going to look at this next week. But what is the foundation of our standing? How can we stand, even with all the armor? So I just want to open that up to us today about the basis of our standing. And to put it simply, it's this. The reason why we can stand against Satan and his schemes is because on the cross, Jesus smashed Satan, absolutely smashed Satan. Jesus had it all over the devil before the cross, on the cross, and after the cross. And the victory that he won is now ours. I mean, let's turn to Luke, Luke chapter 10. Amazing spiritual warfare. He sends out 72 disciples, and they come back absolutely amazed at the victories they have won over the devil. And we see this in Luke chapter 10, verse 17. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And listen to Jesus' response, verse 18. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Jesus was there when Satan was cast out of heaven. Jesus had it all over Satan before human history. Verse 19. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, over all the power of the devil. And this was before the cross. Now, after the cross, we have this, but on steroids. So much more. Colossians. We just spent a bit of time in Colossians, talking about the victory that we have in Christ. Have this wonderful passage, wonderful verse, Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. He, this is our heavenly Father, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of of his beloved son. 
because of the cross, because of the victory that Jesus walked on the cross, those of us, all of us who used to live under the domain of Satan in his dark kingdom, all of us have been transferred into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So that's what happens at conversion. When you put your faith in Jesus, there is this spiritual transaction where you are taken out from under the domain of Satan and are now living under the domain of Jesus Christ. The devil has no rights to a son or a daughter of the living God. Because of the cross, all those who believe are now under the authority of Jesus and we can laugh at Satan as he attempts to bring us back under his authority. He will lie and cheat and kick and try and convince every Christian that he is in control of some area of our life where he isn't. We belong to the living God. And just over the page in Colossians 2, verse 15, we work about the victory of the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. These are the same rulers and authorities talked about in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. They are disarmed, and he put them to public, open shame, triumphing over them in him. Christ has publicly in the spiritual realm, publicly triumphed over Satan and his forces. They are embarrassed. They will bluff and blunder and try and convince Christians otherwise, but they are defeated and publicly humiliated. One of the best ways of fighting Satan is to laugh at him and to ridicule him because he is a defeated foe. He takes himself far too seriously, but God has beaten him and worked by standing on the cross, we can just laugh and say, Satan, you have no authority in my life. You have no authority over my loved ones. And so we engage in spiritual warfare. I mean, this is the basis. Christ's victory on the cross is the basis on which we strap on the armor of God and win the victory. Let's pull all this together as we come to communion. The book of Ephesians, the letter there is finishing, and it's finishing with a call for spiritual warfare. And though we live in a modern technological and enlightened age, the more the world tries to remove evil by better education, better health services, better social providers and the like, is continually frustrated. And these are not bad things, and we support these moves of better education and reducing poverty. But we also know that this alone will never stem the flow of evil unless we have a spiritual warfare mindset. And this is why we use this as a working definition. Spiritual warfare is the ongoing battle with the church and the devil and his forces, with us standing in the armor of God, defensively resisting the devil and offensively proclaiming the gospel in a battle already won. This working definition helps us sort of as we negotiate the scripture. And as we saw, Satan's schemes involving tempting, accusing, and persecuting are things that happen to us and to the wider church, yet we do not lose hope in face of devil's schemes. Exactly the opposite. Our confidence is in Christ because he models how to use the sword of the Spirit. We have his Holy Spirit within us, and so we can, with God's word, stand firmly and not fall. And this is the call to resist the devil's scheme, to stand firmly.
And as we do, as we look to Christ, be encouraged, brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, Though the devil schemes against us, we have the victory in Jesus as we look to him, our Lord, Saviour, and dear friend. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for the victory wrought at the cross. We thank you for the blood shed and the body broken for us on Calvary. And as we come to communion, Lord, we're going to reflect on all that Christ did on the cross. We thank you that not only did he rescue us from slavery to sin and death, forgiving us, Lord, and cleansing us, but also gave us the victory over Satan. And we pray that you will make that victory more and more real to us. You'll lift the veil when it comes to spiritual realms so that we can see where we can work for you in prayer and spiritual battle with the full armour of God. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.